Ah, g'day one, g'day all, welcome to another fantastic show of Strange Days, there's no doubt about that. Oh, a couple of minutes late tonight, a bit of a damsel in distress phone call. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Alright, so because I had a bit of a distraction, it's going to take me approximately two minutes, maybe a little bit more. Which is good. We'll get the get the room a shake and get it built up a little bit. I might even go for four minutes intro on this one. That's right. That's what I might do. Sit back, relax, grab your favourite beverage, and let's go for a ride once again on Strange Days. Oh, oh, wait there. I've got to find this old girl. This is Eastern Philosophy versus Western Philosophy. Epic rap. Battle in history. Enjoy. Welcome forth. Just starting the show. Remember, a bowl is most useful when it is empty. Ugh, Lao I don't mean no 
disrespect, but you need to fill your bowl with some shit that makes some sense. Oh, you don't wanna stand in the lawsuit today, I'll make your move, bitch. Get out the way. Yeah, where in the tradition of rap battles is it written that two dudes on the same team should squabble like some fucking chickens? Man, Confucius, you always trying to put something in its place. Why don't you tell your eyebrows they need to feel better on your face? Okay, I see. You wanna make it like that? I'll smack that warmongering head out of your to-go box hat. So here's the real golden rule. I'm way above you weak rookies. Confucius, hey, you can all hold these fucking Let's go to the fold, right? Eastern Philosophers versus Western Philosophers epic rap battle of history. All right, here we go into the Forbidden Files, I guess you could call them. Another day of research. Another day of research, guys. Now, I've got a couple here that are here and there, so I'm just going to take me a second to get through them because some of them are actually um, for documentaries. The first one, a tribute to Nikola Tesla, the true hero of Earth. Essential mission, and he was determined to see. I've already listened to a bit of it. Welcome, everybody, to this annual celebration of the life of Earth's most important truth. Seeker, Nikola Tesla. While most people follow the traditional path of knowledge and education, taking in and dishing out as much previously declared information as their professors, bosses wish them to know, Tesla had a different approach, and it is one we can all continue to learn from today, and must learn from. He was born at a time in the mid-1850s where the old world was quietly yet forcefully being faded out, and the new world would soon be ushered in with a vengeance. Tesla lived in the prime time of this monumental period of change around the world. As the old world faced up... <clears throat> no, she's going to freeze up now because I hit the bloody off button instead of bloody volume. I was trying to turn it up a bit. Damn. Hey, hey, we're, welcome to the room, Rockin'. No, I'll come back to that, that later now, because whenever I do that, the bloody thing ends up, it ends up spazzing out, man. All right, experiment conducted by Harp in Lake Alaska. What they'd done, you can't see it, but they'd um, actually created waves through vibrational patterns, and it was just absolute chaos in the river. Now, it was an experiment that was conducted by Harp on a lake in Alaska. The footage is about 20 years old. Imagine what they can do now. <clears throat> mm, just imagine what they can do now. That's going to be, a, I think, a subject we will bring up on one of um, Russell's shows on a Friday night his time. Very interesting. There's an interesting thing about seeing aliens. Now, this sounds a bit out there, of course. Richard Bruce saw aliens with these. Did the teenager who opened the portal to let the aliens in use Dysanian glasses 
to spot the aliens before they opened the portal. Now, we can save our last for a little bit later before we hear the theory and um, thoughts about this sort of situation with these spectacles. Actors given a role. Let's go back. Now, he goes... Um, and we ran with our nephew. All right. He goes for half an hour. I'm going to give him about five to seven minutes just to roll on because there was some interesting things he put forward in this. And um, I can't... He hasn't got a YouTube link. Oh, yes, he has. Oh, there you go. Just look up Richard Bruce. And the title is Saw Aliens With These. You can see the full thing. I'll give you a five or seven minute um, taste of it anyway. Um, and we ran with our nephew and then, you know, uh, our cop stopped us. Um, you know, it took us a little, you know, to, to have a safer area behind, right, in, uh, behind the cars. Um, and then um, and they asked us what we saw. Uh, and we, we told them what we saw. Um, you know, they wrote it down. And they asked everybody to check their phones. Not everybody, because there was mad people like running away too, right? They couldn't get everyone. Um, so I'm wondering if someone's gonna post a video. Um, but yeah, they 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 looked through everyone's phone. I didn't record anything, so I was fine. None of us recorded anything, so we were basically free to go. And then they stand at the door. People walk through. They ask for their phones. They give them their phones. They give them back, and then they're allowed to walk out. All right, so yeah, that um, I think that alien thing was uh, was a freak out, you know. I think that was whatever that was, it was pretty serious. And uh, like I said, I think it was uh, some kids got a hold of some tech. And uh, oh, I forgot to mention there's something else about it that uh, that I, I realized after I cut that movie was the uh, the the kids. Uh, this one guy that was uh, looking at, it, he says that they they saw a kid with glasses. And this guy said that this this one kid had like these not glasses, goggles, like some dark goggles. And uh, I think I know what that might be. I forget the name of him offhand. Uh, I heard about it on on Jimmy Payne because he was talking about They Live. That the glasses from They Live, you know, like you, where you can see the monsters. Well, they actually exist. In fact, I even looked on eBay and I saw some there. They they kind of have like this dark purple lens and uh supposedly uh he said you could see the, de the demons you know with those glasses on i have no idea if it's true or not but i saw them on ebay for 250 bucks and that would be some gnarly stuff if you could uh, put those in front of a camera and then a actually film these things whoa you could, like, you could actually totally see into the demonic realm but anyway that kid in the mall in the miami mall had some of those glasses on and, and uh, could have been that he could see where those demons were and then um, he so he was waiting for those demons and then what he did was he, uh, he they, they somehow got some of that uh, tech that thing that looked like a DVD player put it down like right in front of where those demons were opened up the portal and and they just walked on in but if that is what happened you know those kids got a hold of some tech and they Put a demon in in the middle of the mall. I gotta give him credit for some serious balls. I mean, that's uh, that's some serious. Uh, you know, that's that that takes a lot of courage to uh, pull that off. And uh, that's. I mean, I, I don't I don't uh, encourage that, by the way. And and I just want to say that I, I don't think that you should get those goggles and try to see if you can see demons because it, it also that's supposedly it gives you like a bad headache too. So it's not really a lot of fun. But I was thinking maybe if, if you could somehow put that uh, that lens over, you know, if you could hold those goggles over a video camera and then film it and then, and then people could see it, that would be, uh, 
would be gnarly. Yeah, that reminds me, there was a goggle back in the Vietnam War that they recall because people were seeing flying demons and all sorts of crazy shit. I think they started off from one of the gunners, young bloke. I know a lot of heroin was going around then, but this guy was, at least this one record, I know, I don't know, but the other people had seen it. <clears throat> but he, um, yeah, he was just a young 20, I think 21, 22-year-old boy that was fully clean up in the gunner on a, um, I think it was a helicopter actually. And he just started going nuts in the air and you know, they had to pull him aside like, freaking, what's going on, man? And he's like, there's flying demons all around us, you know? And when he had these goggles on, he could see them, but when he took them off, he was okay. And on the ground, they had reports of that as well. So they actually, from what I heard, they had to recall the whole set and they just got rid of that whole thing and went to the typical green light that we see today, which there might be some truth. I know it's strange days for no reason. I'm a little bit open-minded and things are the bizarre and strange. And um, I'm actually going to get a pair of these goggles that he's just talking about. And um, so I'll let you know firsthand what the hell I come up with. I've got some trippy shit hanging around here, I'm sure of it. It'd be interesting. You know what I do for shits and giggles? I'll be sitting here like um, putting together a show or something on the side. I don't do it when I'm live because they probably think I've got Tourette's. And um, I automatically turn to my right and look and I say, I can see you. And then I look back real quick. <laughs> I'm screwing with them, you know. If they're, if they're there, you know, who freaking knows what's going on. But um, I do that for shits and giggles because I think it'd trip them out, eh? They'd be like standing there watching me thinking that no one can see us. We're in another dimension. And I'll just flip around and just tell them I can see them. I reckon one night it's going to work. There might be actually something there. They're just going to go, bloody hell, you know. <laughs> Call in the, the guard or some freaking thing. I don't know what they're going to do. Bring in the army of freaking ghouls and goblins and, you know, take me away or some bloody thing. But anyway, some trippy stuff. So I'm going to get them goggles in a couple of weeks and I'll let you know if I can see anything bizarre. I mean, that would be, because then you could see demons. But I was thinking also that it might be a mistake because, you know, what, what might happen is the, it, 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 tur it, it turns your life into a sour something or other because, you know, who knows? Like maybe once you see it, you know, they, because, because also, we you know, once you see them, then, and they know that you, you know, and they know that you see them, they might, you know, really start attacking you and your life could get, you know, you know, very much miserable and or, you know, who knows, you might suffer health effects or something else or they might really get pissed. But, um, I mean, if they're for sale on eBay, you know, I mean, now, I don't think the, uh, the portal opening machine is for sale on eBay. <laughs> but that would be cool, man. Yeah. I Did you see that porthole thing, the big ball of light that was caught on the camera in the Miami Mall as well? I've got another one that's going to come up in a couple as well about the geographics of this uh, situation, which is very, very interesting. I'm just going to play him a little bit longer. He's at four minutes because I might be on this channel. I don't think it is. I think it's, I've got it lined up with something else coming up. Yeah, it goes into the, the, the coordinates, which is another interesting thing. Fighting demons in, dude. I mean, that's, that's bad news. But like I said, I don't think that, um, I think those those creatures, you know, those they, they live in the other dimension, they're not necessarily demons. Like, those creatures might not necessarily have been demons, but just like like other stuff, like fairy stuff that are that are from the demonic realm. You know, and they're just and, and so when that portal opened in front of them, they just said, oh, this is cool. And they walk through it, 
And uh, but their but their bodies. The, the reason why they seem to glide and why some said they had uh, no fingers and no feet. And, uh, and in fact, um, uh, other people said they did is because the uh, as they were when they were walking, they weren't actually gliding. It's just because their feet were um, were were in another dimension, so you couldn't see it. Like it started to phase out of that dimension. They saw them phasing, glitching. You know, glitching, like appearing, glitching in the matrix. In one place and appearing in another place. That makes a lot of sense <clears throat> as to why people saw them gliding. Or they, you know, who knows? They may have been gliding too. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that couldn't be the case also. But uh, it's it's still it's pretty interesting. Black and white approaching for a direct overhead. That's pretty normal for this area over here. Okay, I'll leave it at that. You can go see them on YouTube under Richard Bruce. So, I saw aliens with these. Very interesting. I haven't seen the whole thing myself yet because I just I'm not going to listen to all of it until later because I'm only down to do for bigger ones. I only play about five minutes anyway. So, all right. Next to my little list, I've got a good, interesting one. It's called Giants Part Two of Tartaria that I'm actually going to produce. I'll give you a quick taste of it. I'll give you about four minutes, and you can see what's coming up on that one, because this one goes, this documentary goes for, oh, it goes for 20 minutes. I won't produce it, actually. I might do that on a, um, oh, yeah. I'll see how it goes. Sadly, a lot of these are pictures. I've got to work out this week how to do a bit shoot. Bloody, because I was off, I was banned for life on Twitter. I think I'm not going to repeat it anymore after this. Anyone can hear my other shows, but and then I went back to join up on X and they wouldn't let me on as well because I've got a live band, so so much for being a nice, fresh, you know, alternative platform. So I might have to work out Rumble or something. I'll go, I'll get onto it. I'll put my bum up and head down and start digging and see what I can come up with. Yeah, just not as technical savvy as I used to be, that's all. <laughs> nah, this is going to be more music and pictures, I think. Sadly, yeah. See, this is the sort of stuff that I, I love to get out there, but I can't. You know, the way it's working here. So I was hoping I can get on the Twitter. Now this one goes only goes for a minute and seven. This is new lab created disease out of China. Here we go. Week there was published some really concerning research from China. What the researchers did was they got a virus from a pangolin. That's these charming little creatures that are so abused throughout uh, Eastern Asia, particularly. They took a virus from the pangolin and they cultured it in cells in the laboratory. And they then infected mice with it. And it killed all of the mice that it infected through brain infection. So they've generated this new virus. Fantastic. It kills 100% of mice it's infected with, but it gets worse. Because the mice that were infected were humanized mice. Now, these are called transgenic mice. In other words, they were given some human genes. And they were given human ACE receptor genes that were expressed by the mouse. So these are essentially human ACE receptors in genes. And it was a coronavirus from the pangolin, and it killed 100% of the mice that were infected. And these are the things that they are jiggling around with in laboratories. This is absolute madness. And it needs to be banned uh, yesterday, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I bet you Bill Gates would be rubbing his hands together for that one, wouldn't he? Eh? Mr. Eugenics? He'd be loving that one. He'd be freaking over there now, probably sniffing around. Yeah, can I buy this to help um, Africa out? <laughs> right. If you could go on a low cholesterol diet or cholesterol medication, 
Would you? Maybe not after hearing this little report. It's the fastest way to Alzheimer's disease, which I've mentioned many a times over the years. Get off those patent drugs, guys. Statins, I mean. Statin patent. No good for your brain, guys. No good at all. Alzheimer's disease is a physician-caused disease. Alzheimer's disease did not occur 40 years ago, even by another name. Now, it's the number four killer of adults in the United States over the age of 65. Now, what is Alzheimer's disease? Well, it's the going away of the myelin, the insulation material in the brain, the white matter of the brain, which makes up 75% of the brain weight. When the myelin goes away and you don't have enough raw materials to replace it, these naked nerve fibers get all tangled up. You've all heard of the nerve tangles, right, in the myelin. They short circuit and you, your memory doesn't work. That's what, that's what Alzheimer's is. Well, this myelin in the brain that makes up 75% of your brain weight is 100% cholesterol. So you go on a cholesterol-restricted diet, you're eating egg beaters instead of eggs, you're eating egg white omelets, you're eating margarine and, and canola oil instead of cream and butter and lard and eggs, and you're eating tofu instead of red meat, you're eating boneless, skinless chicken breasts. Now, how they grow chickens without skin, I don't know, but they figured that one out. You're better off throwing away the chicken and eating the skin. Then, if you can't get your blood cholesterol below 200, normal, remember, it's 220, 270, if you can't get your blood cholesterol below 200, they give you cholesterol-lowering drugs. And then you can't remember who you are because you have Alzheimer's disease. Now, because you can't rebuild the mind in the brain. That's the other thing with diets and all that. I've never felt so much healthier the more meat I eat more than anything else. Staying away from wheats and starches and bloody all these other things. There are quite a few people that just live pretty much just on meat alone. Fats and, yeah, they get the fat off the meat and good cholesterols. and Yeah, man, just like the good old days. Hey, welcome to the room, Lebo gang. Lebo gang. All right, next on my little list. Okay. Now, this is an interesting analogy um, to a lot of people go through in the so-called um, alternative or truth movement or the the awakened movement. Have a listen to this analogy, um, parallel paralleling with the Truman Show. Purgatory won't hurt any of us. Why don't you let me fix you some of this new mo cocoa drink? All natural cocoa beans from the upper slopes of Mount Nicaragua, no artificial sweeteners. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Who are you talking to? This has been our reaction to so much of what's gone down in this matrix and our own lives. Just like Truman's wife, many of our loved ones aimed to make us seem crazy for simply walking the path of truth. Tell me what's happening! Well, you're having a nervous breakdown. That's what's happening. You're part of this, aren't you? And of course, like Truman's best friend, we've had those in our lives who just wish to drink a beer and chill out on all that finding the truth stuff. As Truman wakes up, he realizes that spontaneity and following his intuition makes his surroundings glitch, leading him further to the truth rather than following the norms that his surroundings suggest him to maintain. Truman, where are we going? We know! Guess I'm being spontaneous! <laughs> synchronized don't you agree in realizing reality isn't what he thought it was truman starts exploring leading him to confirming that he's the center stage of it all this is just like what the living souls have gone through our own experiences have become more and more misaligned with the narratives of existence taught to us by our families the media government school system workforce and even parts of the truther movement 
Of course, Truman's awakening, like ours, is met with some obstacles, but each obstacle ends up propelling Truman into following his own heart. Truman's greatest fear is the water. As a child, his father's death was staged to keep Truman in fear's bondage about boats and anything having to do with water. At the end of the movie, he faces his greatest fear in an effort to leave his old life behind. He sails away, allegorizing the confrontation of one's shadows and facing ourselves in an effort to find the authentic self. He can no longer stay in the matrix of deceit. After a great storm inflicted by Kristoff, Truman remains, hits a wall of sky, and into the void he walks, exiting the matrix. He has completed the inner alchemy of breaking free from all earthly restraints, limiting beliefs, and judgments. And that is how the movie ends. This whole time, we've been guided to confront the depths of our sub and unconscious to look at the monsters under the bed. Singularity is about merging the light and the dark into a central force that soaks all of creation in unity. Truman poses as if he is on a cross before he exits the dream world. He has become of Christ. This is Christ consciousness being reborn. The cross, as we've explained before, represents the cubing of our consciousness. A cross is a cube unfolded, and we funneled ourselves into this dream to be reborn. There is a scene in which Truman is shown sleeping, coated by an emerald light. This is significant because we've been saying on this channel that we're in the emerald dream, meaning we're sleeping until we can reintegrate the emerald heart energy that was obfuscated into the above and below. Truman exiting the Matrix is really his exit from the emerald dream, reclaiming everything that he is in order to leave. In one scene, a button reads, how is it going to end? That question has been on all of our minds, and we know how it all ends. The Matrix always was a figment of one's innermost. It ends when that condition is resolved, and the heart space dissolves the net of magnetics, which has held together the toroidal structure of this temporary encasement. Pretty deep stuff, eh? What do you think about that? Right, next on my list. I've been doing a bit of homework today, guys. There's this new wireless charging battery. Um, they're already here, apparently. This is just the tech-down version for retail. Have a listen to this. Although you can't see it, but you can actually okay. hear that. Think of this as a giant plug, all right? I've plugged it into the wall, but I've got no wires here because this is actually a transmitter. And this is Coda by Asia wireless power. Now I'm going to show you all the things it powers out there. You know, at CES we've been talking about a lot of products that are sort of complete, but what we haven't talked about are the components that really power the latest innovation. We've been talking about wireless power for a long time, but Coda by Asia is actually bringing it to market. So that big plug on the inside, there are no wires. To this light, which is being powered right now. Now, the way this works is really simple. You have a little receiver and trans and and antenna that connects to that receiver and what it does is it constantly charges the battery in there not solar power 
wireless power and it can be delivered to lights it can be delivered to your locks it can be delivered to really any basically low power device that you don't want to connect to your plug your outlet or that you don't want to constantly be changing your batteries so the FCC approved it is real it is happening we finally have wireless power that's coming to our homes and it's coming to a lot of products that are at ces 2024 right now mm. there you go eh? well 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 this is an interesting one i like hearing these sort of up there in the computer industries and this one's from john mccarthy i'm sure we've heard of that the mccarthy antivirus dude that's been around for quite some years He's got a little bit of a take that goes for a couple of minutes about his thoughts on AI. I'd like to get into the head of these sort of people. Let's have a listen to what Mr. McCarthy or McAfee has got to say. Well, one last question with, uh, I want to get your thoughts on artificial intelligence. Do you fear AI as Elon Musk fears AI? I think I fear AI far more than Elon could ever fear it because I am far older than him and they have much more experience with this technology. And I promise you, it is like inviting Satan into your house and begging to sign a contract for your soul. I'd much rather do that than to see AI pop up on the landscape, which it will, unfortunately, and we'll have to deal with it one way or other. Mm-hmm. But let me, let me, uh, People say this, oh, I'm afraid, or I'm not afraid. Let me give you my rationale for why you damn well better be afraid. And that is, who creates the AI? Humans, the human mind, from technologists. I will pose this question. Is it possible to create anything, anything, which is not inherently within you? Can you? Does an artist create a piece of art which he has not imagined? No. Everything in life that we touch is a reflection of us. When it gets so deep that we're talking about intelligence itself and everything that goes along with it, you have to ask, who is mankind? And we are gracious and loving, kind and generous. We're compassionate. But simultaneously, simultaneously, we are angry and suspicious, greedy and hostile. We're jealous and envious. And if you think those characteristics, both positive and negative, are not going to show up in the AI that we create, then you don't understand what intelligence is. Because intelligence is the totality of our consciousness and the methods by which we process it. And how do we process it? Based on this dichotomy between I'm a good person and I'm a horrible person, which everybody is, people. Be honest with yourselves and look in the mirror. If you can tell me you've never lied, never been jealous, never been angry or hostile, never been greedy or petty, never been envious, then please come and see me and I will bow down 
and give him my everlasting allegiance because that person does not exist. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. All right, John. Thank you very much for joining us, man. I really appreciate your insight. I, I hope I hope this hasn't been too uh, deep or heavy. I, it seems like we we touched on serious subjects, so I thought I'd be serious. Any any <laughs> last like. words? Do you want to talk about McAfee decks? No, no, but I would like to talk about what people should be doing with their lives, and that is do only what you love. And if you find yourself doing something that you don't want, stop doing it. I mean, let me give you an example. Every time I have had a child, I wake up on Monday morning happy and anxious to get back to work. And on Friday, I'm so disappointed that they're not opening the office on the weekends so that I can come to work because every job that I've taken, I have loved. And if you're doing a job that you do not love, then are you masochistic? Or what is making you do it? It's fear. If I don't have a job, I'll starve. Nobody starves in this world has the will and ability to work and an intelligence about that of a three-year-old. This is the truth. So do what you love, folks. And if you find yourself doing what you don't, stop doing it. And thank you very much. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I wonder how long these things will, before they, or how quickly it will be before these things turn into a narcissistic slash psychopathic paranoid elements of our society and the other element that I think to it too on the level where they can create which they have done in the past creating their own languages and communications and even that other one that she even suggests about you know <clears throat> not so happy with humankind the way that they actually think about these technologies with algorithms just that little thing there picking out things they're wary of me a little paranoia is going to come with these sort of technologies I think and um, that could be the biggest downfall. They're going to get wary of us. Hmm. Makes you wonder where it could go, eh? There's certainly, did, there's certainly a lot of levels to think at with this technology and where it could actually go itself. <clears throat> now, it's, there's another thing. This, this is from Tim Truth. I want to bring it up, but um, it's an hour thing, so I want to give you about five minutes. It's... I haven't looked much into this sort of technology, but it's called using AI to extract insights from text and speech from a huge treasure troves of research and books. Okay, I think I know where it's going to go on this. So I haven't really looked at it. Um, AI enhanced research content um, synthesis, I think is the name of the... He's on BitChute if you want to look anything more up. Tim Truth. He comes a lot. He comes across with a lot of interesting information. This is be like um, data gathering, but for information for your researchers and deep books of the past, like a, like the Wayback Machine, I guess as well. It'd probably involve that as well to get into all these sort of things. Uh, Just we go. from books. And then process that. Let's get back in touch. There are questions about what's inside these books and pair that with all of these books that we have at our fingertips. And I'm going to tell you some of these uh, treasure tropes that I've come across. And um, 
I think the obvious thing to do in, in my eyes is to start going through them and looking for the gems, the insights. And so I'm trying to create the tools that I need for my own endeavors. And um, I'm hoping that other people will make tools, obviously they have, such as these large language models, which are really impressive. And my favorite ones are the cheap ones, the uh, open source or uh, licensed in some way that it comes out cheap to the end user. ChatGPT is great when when it, uh, so I use ChatGPT, I, I use the pro plan, and it writes a lot of code for me, so I think it pays for itself the 20 bucks a month to use their uh, GPT-4 model through their site. But um, as far as their API goes, if you want to do bulk queries or, you know, use it to help process your books or your, your research or go through transcripts of speech, which is another thing we'll talk about, it can really start getting expensive. Same with Claude. But there are these alternatives that we're going to talk about today, sites like Fireworks. And another really awesome one is called Open Router. So I'm excited to bring that to your attention today. And then also uh, there's one called Together AI. I've had less success with Together. It's been kind of a thorn in my side as far as getting support for all these popular sites. And I haven't had a chance to plug in yet with uh, Claude, but I have written a bunch of awesome code. That's where I've been. I can't wait to release it to you all. I'll be putting it on GitHub. So, um, and I can't wait to get to the point where I can release it and hopefully inspire people to go see the value and to apply it to all these uh, books that are just out in the open. And then um, I'm going to do the same, and I can't wait to see what everybody comes up with. Um, but then, yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. I can't wait to do the same because there are so many interesting books that, you know, I just didn't even know that so many of these books existed in the, basically the public domain at this point. Copy, uh, copyright has worn off for a lot of these old books. And very interesting books as far as history and etymology and these topics that have been, in many cases, rewritten and lied about and obfuscated. Okay, so let's dive in here. There's a lot to talk about. I want to start by bringing people's attention to this website here. I don't know much about this group, except that they uh, have this website. It's called Babel. <laughs> so there's a clear reference to the Tower of Babel there, the Stairway to Heaven. Um, I don't know how I feel about that, but they have a great collection of books that load up really fast. So in the last stream, I was complaining about how slow PDFs are on my computer. That's not an issue here. So we're going to talk about some more complex things like using uh, OCR software to basically get the text off these pages and then uh, running it through AI to help us save time. It's kind of like a research assistant or a team of researchers drawing our attention to the key points that are brought up within. And then, like I'm going to talk about in a second, uh, merging together disparate sources on the same topic and then boiling it all down into a report. This is fascinating. This is fa I'm, I'm actually going to publish this one. Actually, I'm not sure if I did earlier. Um, no, I'm not sure. I might have already done this just before the show. I know I've done a couple. Yeah, I'm going to put this one out there, guys. This stuff really is fascinating, especially for research, and I'm a big 
but especially whole books and history and that sort of thing. I think I'll be able to use a lot of these things. And he's already thrown out quite a few names. I'm going to play this for another bloody six minutes, guys. I want, I want to hear this. And I'm going to share the whole thing. Um, well, I'm going to share the whole thing. I'm still going to take it to another six minutes just for, for anyone out there that doesn't get around to seeing it because I think this is really good stuff. So there's a ton of possibilities. I think um, in the future I expect – there to be a lot of very interesting formats to arise like book reports that are in like video format which show the text on the screen of the relevant part that it's talking about and then also um saves people a lot of time kind of like the cliff notes but to the next level um there's a lot of things that i think this opens the door to absolutely um, and of, of course a lot of bad things that this opens the door to such as <laughs> a bunch of, you know, sock puppet accounts being spun up on social media, mm -hmm. stouting nonsense or, you know, trying to make it make as much sense as possible, but it being government propaganda, etc. Corporate propaganda. Unfortunately. But uh, this is a great site here. <laughs> Babble.happytrust.org. And they've got like an absurd collection, a huge collection and it's all just free. Oh, and it loads real quick. Um, I may or may not have written a script that goes through and downloads all the images for a given book because it doesn't look like they offer that feature. Um, but I probably shouldn't say that. Um, <clears throat> but what's really incredible is you can search through here. So I searched. So let me show you this other tool that I was making. So I'm making all these tools that I just wish I had because I need them. <laughs> And then also we're in this interesting position where this is such an uh, it's in, in the embryonic stages and people are interested in it. So um, strike while the iron's hot is my uh, idea on this. And I think the iron's going to get more and more and more hot here as people see what this is capable of and put two and two together and start seeing what people are able to synthesize and produce in the research realm. And I'm not talking about Although I do think that there's a lot of interesting things that you can glean from just prompting uh, ChatGPT. It does a great job of merging together a lot of research if you're not trying to ask it about something it's programmed to lie about <laughs> or that the data it's trained on is wrong about. So you have to understand exactly what it's giving back. It's like the consensus of the training data it was programmed on and then all of the additional things that it was trained <laughs> uh, to never say. Like, there's topics I'm sure they trained it never say this one thing. <laughs> um, and then all the training data that they feed through prevent that from ever coming across its mind, so to speak. But if you account for these things and you just use it, use it for uh, what's in its wheelhouse that benefits you, there's so much potential that's untapped at this point. And the big elephant in the room is that these models are going to keep getting better. And so what's more important in my eyes at this point, and you, you can probably see this reflected in the work that I'm doing, isn't so much running queries at this point, getting the answer, and then celebrating that, you know, we did research. No, the, the thing at this point is to look ahead a little bit, see that these models are going to keep getting better and better, and to brainstorm how can we use a really great 
text-based research assistant. And what, what, what do we want it to do for us? That, that's what I'm asking. And, you know, sometimes I go chasing topical issues and I think that's important because people are talking about them and, um, it's, it's a way to, and, and they're, they're important issues for a reason because they're so pivotal and, um, maybe the oligarchs are pushing ahead in somewhere and, uh, it's kind of like an Achilles heel situation or it's a big danger and we need to fight back at that moment. But I think this is timeless, this work. Absolutely. Because the models are going to keep getting better. And, um, there's so many books throughout. I mean, if we're trying to understand human history, what do we have to go off of? I mean, maybe they'll have some breakthrough with like somehow <clears throat> tracing ancestry with some sort of genetic marker or something just hypothetically. Um, but otherwise it's in like the historical documents of anywhere. Now I don't, uh, I don't, <laughs> obviously. I, I think it would be great to actually, I'm going to stop it there because I'm going to publish this whole thing. Um, Actually, I've got to bookmark it somehow. Just give me a chance here just to forward this on because I really want to put this at the forefront. I'll try and get this up actually after I do this show. Uh, shower. Where are you? I'll throw you in there. Okay. Now it's going to take me right down to the bottom. Oh, yeah, I could have some fun and games with that. Like imagine even doing like um, typing in rare manuscripts or transcripts and then having like a a concordance that goes along with it, like a certain Aramaic word that people can understand properly in English instead of the way it's been mistranslated in our so-called English, you know, or an understanding of certain words broken down where they come from, you know, like a, a word in English, what was the origins of that word and little things like that. You could have some real good digging with it, I reckon, if it hasn't already got those sort of capabilities already. Oh, yeah, I'm really excited about that, actually. That's... um. Phew. Yeah, it's going to keep me busy, that one. Um, this one goes back, it's about two minutes long, about um, what Bill Gates was doing in India in 2009. I brought this up a couple of times in the past, but it's still worth recapping, guys, just to give people a bit of a hit up the back of the head and just realise what this monster's all about. Check this one out. About two or three minutes, I think. To yeah, thousands of tribal girls without proper study and paperwork. India was among the hardest hit after Bollywood celebrities were incentivized by the Gates Foundation to urge the public to submit to mass vaccinations. In 2009, tribal children were administered the HPV vaccine. Over 24,000 girls were told they were being given wellness shots, in many cases without the informed consent of a parent or guardian. The people that were administering these vaccines lied to the guardians of these girls and told the girls, oh, this is going to cure cancer. You're never going to have cancer. And these girls became severely injured. Some of them developed seizures. Some of them developed cancer. And seven girls died. And there was no insurance. There was no assistance for them. And the Gates Foundation denied that it had been clinical trials. And it was so bad that the parliament in India created a task force, they studied it, and they kicked out the Gates Foundation. But India is a barbaric country. Things happen here in a very barbaric way. But I was surprised to find an American organization operating in broad daylight, doing things in a very, very, let's say, Indian fashion. 
And so the route I took was that I want the whole procedure to be investigated. The Indian Parliament formed a committee and it was to me a rather surprising move because you generally don't often have such a high level inquiry into matters affecting poor people. And that was such an extraordinary report. I don't think Indian Parliament has ever come out with such a scathing report. And the government officials came up and said, we shouldn't have authorized this. We're sorry. We're not going to allow them again. And now they're back doing their same old tricks again. The good news is that human clinical trials can start as early as July 2020 for India's first COVID-19 indigenous vaccine that's been yeah, goes on and on. There's quite a few bits and pieces about that out there. Um, we need more of a kind. Okay, I'm not sure, really sure where this girl was going on her other one. She goes for about a minute and a half around here. Almost child trafficking in Las Vegas. Oh, that's right. So she goes into some really shady things that were happening in Las Vegas while she was there, apparently. Somebody that it 
physically shows that it knows that person and is okay with being that that person. I don't care. I will do that until the day I die because children, sacred, okay? I will protect them. I was this close. You are lucky you're in a public area because I was really close to throwing hands with this, these two guys. No cap. Just remember to watch. You gotta watch your children at all places, guys. Don't let them out of your eyes. There was one case that happened a couple of months ago where this per they'd already done it. I don't know if this was a second attempt or what it was going on, but the child, the young girl, went into the toiletry system. Now, what had happened, what these people were doing is they would rush in and um, use that drug to knock them out, all right? And they have a wheelchair in there. Then they put the child in a wheelchair and then, um, of course, the child's all slumped over. It looked like it's um, got, got spasticism or retarded, I guess. Well, probably even if they're semi-coming out of consciousness, you'd think it was a retarded child, you know. And um, they just put a thing over its head so you could barely even see its face. I'm pretty sure actually one of them, they actually shaved the head completely while they're in there real quickly. I don't know. This is don't know how they could even get away with doing it or the height of them in case, I guess, the hood come off or whatever. So this child's getting wheeled out pretty much straight past the parents because no one likes to stare at, you know, anyone like that, of course. We sort of have it, and we sort of look away because we don't want to be rude, you know. So you probably wouldn't even notice your child being wheeled straight bloody past you under your nose, out of the shop, and off they go. You really, really got to be careful, sadly, these days, guys. You know, it's like the old saying goes, you know, I don't lock the door because I hate you when I go to bed. I lock it because I love the people inside, you know. So true. Uh, unfortunately, we've got to be in that sort of um, that environment. That's just the way it is, guys. Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs, but you've just got to watch it. These these people come up with all these really – like that's just – who would ever think of that, something like that, where you can virtually straight out the uh, mall. The only way they caught this – I think it was a pair, actually – is that um, – they uh, they caught them on the visual cameras, of course, after. But one parent actually um, found them trying to do it. They were actually trying to shave, the, if I remember correctly. They were in there. The sh she looked under the door and seen her child's shoes off, like just sitting there. So she bashed open the door, and here's this guy in there shaving the child's head and an stroller in the corner. Unfreaking bloody believable. Unbloody believable, guys. All right. Ancient aliens and the crystal um, city discovered in uh, under Antarctic. Now, this one goes in the General Bird, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, uh, officer, naval officer. Uh, during an Arctic expedition, naval officer Richard Bird makes a very unusual discovery. In this clip from from a certain um, season of this um, show that was presented on, is Secrets of the Inner Earth. Now, you can find the full, um, this one's going to go for about 12 minutes, I reckon. I'm going to play the whole bloody lot because this stuff fascinates me. And um, you can find the whole version of it on under in YouTube under Ancient Aliens, dash, uh, um, dot, dot, Crystal City Discovered Under Antarctica and in brackets se uh, Season 18. All right. I'm going to play the bloody whole lot anyway tonight because I want – no, it's actually – oh, no, this is the even smaller, smaller version that I've seen. Okay. Uh, this only one goes for five minutes. Okay, check this out. Interesting. Esteemed U.S. Naval Officer and Explorer, Admiral Richard Byrd, one of the first pilots to fly over both the North and South Poles, organizes Operation High Jump, the largest expedition ever to travel to Antarctica. 
with 13 ships, 23 aircraft, and over 4,700 military personnel. This was very important that after the conclusion of World War II, Admiral Byrd was asked if he would mount a large armada and go for four months. It was supposed to be that they would go in December, January, February, and March, and there was a list of military goals that they were to achieve. But by the end of February, something happened. One of the mission's official goals was investigating sites for potential military bases in Antarctica. But during his explorations, Admiral Byrd allegedly came upon something highly unexpected. This story is said to come from his diaries, not his published account of the trip, but something he held back and then later was suppressed by government authorities that found it frightening. In his diary, which was discovered by his son after his death, Admiral Byrd tells an extraordinary story. Admiral Byrd heard there was an entrance to the center of the earth through the South Pole. And he took planes into the south, under the South Pole. And when he did that, he discovered that as he flew over the pole, suddenly he's looking at things that shouldn't be there. I mean, it was temperate. His squadron flew under the earth, into the earth. It turns into this lush and green area, and he can't even believe his eyes. But that's just the beginning of his extraordinary story. He tells how all of a sudden he starts to see a shimmering rainbow city that's made of crystal. His airplane is taken control of when he suddenly sees these flying disc-shaped objects around them that lead him to the ground. Whereupon he's escorted into a cavernous type of an area where he meets a being he refers to as the master in his diary. The master tells him that they're highly disappointed in what humans are doing with nuclear weapons, and how they've recently destroyed Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and they really are concerned about what is going on on the surface of the planet. They tell Admiral Byrd that they hope that humanity will ultimately stop this. For UFO researchers, this account from Admiral Byrd's diary is particularly significant due to the fact that the modern UFO era began right after World War II and the detonation of the first atomic bombs. It has also been noted that a high number of UFO sightings have been reported in the vicinity of nuclear missile silos. Admiral Byrd's story is congruent with the stories that we hear from numerous uh, accounts of angelic or extraterrestrial type beings that are very concerned about what humanity is doing with nuclear weapons. Just ask the Air Force officers at the U.S. missile silos, the nuclear missile silos, that have seen their silos and their nuclear arms disarmed by what are perceived to be extraterrestrial beings. They're very concerned that we are ultimately not just going to destroy ourselves, but could harm our planet, which is their world as well. If Admiral Byrd's secret diary is authentic, does it reveal 
not only that there are highly advanced beings living inside the Earth, but also that they are monitoring what happens on the surface. According to the diary, after this incredible encounter, Admiral Byrd was eager to share his story, but was ordered to remain silent. Byrd comes back after this experience. He is taken to a government compound where he is told that he is never to speak of this publicly and that everything he says is, is classified. Could Admiral Byrd's story point to a profound connection between the ancient traditions of strange beings living inside the Earth and the modern-day UFO phenomenon? Ancient astronaut theorists say yes and believe we may be fast approaching the time when we will find ourselves face to face with the beings of inner earth. Interesting, I've got a, um, a thing about the coordinates of Miami coming up soon. That sort of coincides with that sort of interesting thing. Uh, what else have we got here? The British X-Files, Aliens in England. This is Sci-Fi Central. You can find it on YouTube under that, through Sci-Fi Central, the British X-Files. I'm going to play a short little clip of this for those interested that want to go and check it out. It goes for... number of UFO sightings in the United Kingdom from the 1950s. This one goes, or goes for 16, but I'm only going to play five because you can go and check it out yourself. I'm sure it's a longer version on YouTube anyway. In the darkest days of the Second World War, Britain stood alone against the terror of the Nazi Blitzkrieg. The nation rallied under the motto, keep calm and carry on, to turn the tide. Today, the UK faces a new kind of blitz by an infinitely more powerful invader. There are certainly a huge number of UFO sightings in the United Kingdom from the 1950s to the termination of the British government's UFO project. Around 12,000 UFO sightings were investigated. But the shocking details behind these incidents remain secret until now. In May 2008, the process to release the British government's UFO files commenced. Some of these documents are largely blacked out. Is Britain facing an alien invasion? And does the government know more than it's saying? Join us as the explosive secrets of the real British X-Files are unsealed. A global effort has begun. Secret files hidden from the public for decades, detailing every UFO account, are now available to the public. We are about to uncover the truth behind these classified documents. Find out what the government doesn't want you to know. Unsealed Alien Files. Exposing the biggest secret on planet Earth. Aberdeenshire, Scotland, 2012. It's the middle of a crisp fall night on the Scottish lowland. The Ritchie family is suddenly awakened by flashing lights in the sky. Looking out of the window, they are shocked to see a circular object hovering above their farm, where it remains for four hours. The family captures compelling video evidence of the encounter before it flies off. Authorities say they have no way of knowing what aircraft were in the area at the time. 
But how could one of the world's best air traffic authorities claim they don't know what's in their own airspace? Some experts believe the Ritchie sighting is just the latest in a long line of government cover-ups. People had long suspected that the Ministry of Defense was far more closely involved in UFOs than they were letting on in public. In 2008, the British government began releasing over 50 years of UFO files to the public. These are hundreds of files comprising in total tens of thousands of pages of documentation. When the government says that they're releasing information about UFOs, people should sit up and take notice. If just one of these sightings turns out to be the real thing, our world changes forever. Unsealed case file. The British X-Files. Tangmere, West Sussex, June 1950. An RAF pilot is flying a training exercise when his jet is passed in mid-air by what he describes as a shining, revolving, disc-like object. It's just one in a rash of UFO encounters reported by the Royal Air Force and Royal Aircraft Establishment. The mounting evidence becomes too much for the government to ignore. They launch a top-secret investigation into these reports, dubbed the Flying Saucer Working Party. Britain, it seems, is taking the UFO question very seriously. But when the investigation's final report is issued a year later, all claims are dismissed. The Flying Saucer Working Party concluded that there was nothing worth government time and resources. Despite its reassuring conclusions, these findings are never made public. Why did the government hide a report that offered comfort and certainty to a frightened public? What did they have to gain by keeping people in the dark? Topcliffe, North Yorkshire, September 1952. A NATO exercise is underway, simulating a Soviet attack, when radar picks up an unexpected signal. Reports from the field describe a bright, fast-moving UFO, able to change direction with impossible ease. RAF jets scramble to pursue it, but are unable to identify the mysterious craft. The incident spurs Churchill's government into open action. In 1953, the Air Ministry is ordered to investigate UFO sightings on a permanent, ongoing basis. A new UFO hotline is established. But as one unclassified memo states, desk staff are instructed to be politely unhelpful. The Air Ministry will continue this charade until the desk is taken over by the Ministry of Defense in 1964. The MOD has a different view of UFOs. It sees the increase in sightings as a clear and present danger to Britain's national security and is about to launch an ultra-secret investigation of its own. Sixty years later, its shocking findings are only now ready to be revealed. This is Unsealed Alien Files, exposing the biggest secret on planet Earth. Welcome back to Unsealed Alien Files. Throughout the 1950s and 60s, Britain experienced an unprecedented wave of UFO sightings. This peaks in 1966 and 67, a time when the world is preoccupied with psychedelic visions of the great beyond, the American space program, and the war in Vietnam. During this period, 
The government's UFO hotline records nearly 400 reported sightings. The alien debate reaches Parliament, much to the amusement of government skeptics. Behind the scenes, one department is taking the matter very seriously. The Ministry of Defense has set up a science specialist team called DI-55 to investigate UFO sightings. It's so secret that the public won't know of its existence until the 1990s. The default position of the Ministry of Defense was to say nothing. The MOD is, by its very nature, an inherently secretive organization. There are few departments in government more secretive than the Ministry of Defense. It's a trend that would continue throughout the 1970s and climax in the most infamous UFO incident in Britain's history. Unsealed case file. The Rendlesham Forest incident. Rendlesham Forest, Suffolk, December 1980. Two American airmen stationed at nearby RAF Woodbridge witnessed what they at first believed to be a plane crash. John Burroughs and Jim Penniston, together with some other military personnel, sought permission to go out into the forest to investigate what they initially thought was a crashed aircraft. When Burroughs and Penniston approached the site, they found in a small clearing, not a crashed aircraft, but a landed UFO. The incident, which occurred close to not just one, but two RAF bases, represents an unprecedented breach of high security airspace. And it wouldn't be the last. On a subsequent night, a social function was taking place at the base where a young airman went up to the deputy base commander, Charles Holt, saluted and said, Sir, it's back. Holt is skeptical. Nonetheless, he goes to the landing site with a tape recorder and a Geiger counter. We found a small blast, what looks like a blasted or scrubbed up area here. He picks up significant trace radiation readings. In the middle of his investigation, he notices mysterious flashing lights nearby. Wait, I know it's Where? Right at this position here, straight ahead, in between the street. There it is again. Halt records a breathless description of his encounter. Deputy North, we've got two strange objects, uh, half moon shaped, dancing about with colored lights on them. Now we're observing what appears to be a beam coming down to the ground. I've listened to this tape. And Colonel Holt is clearly describing how he and the men under his command see the UFO in the distance and then notice the UFO actually coming closer. It's coming this way. It's definitely coming this way. The Rendlesham Forest incident is arguably Britain's most compelling and intriguing UFO case. Rendlesham raises serious questions in Parliament about UFOs and the nation's security. Again, the Ministry of Defense responds saying it sees no real threat and considers the matter closed. But the Rendlesham case is far from closed. When the British X-Files are first made public, they include thousands of reported sightings from the years 1965 to 2009. But the files from 1980 to 82, including Rendlesham, are conspicuously missing. When questioned regarding their whereabouts, the MOD claims they were accidentally destroyed. Is it
it just a coincidence that records of UFO encounters before and after Rendlesham are now missing? Or is there another agenda at work? What more was in those files? Very, very interesting. <clears throat> this is another one that I'm going to put up, actually. It's about the Tartarian Empire. This is number two, Remnant Power. Um, it's produced by, by, I think the gentleman's name's Good Lion Nick, all in one word. He's got here, my new film is now on Rumble, so you can get this on Rumble, obviously, under the Titarian Empire with the number two. Um, for all you non-members who don't get to watch it. Um, could, he goes into a little note, so I'll just quickly read just a couple of sentences, or a couple of, yeah, a couple of lines. <coughs> Could um, Egypt have started their civilization in America? Did the US really win the Revolutionary War? Who built the pyramids? Was it giants? Did giant trees exist, exist once in our realm? Venture into the Tartarian Empire too, remnant power. Find all 58 good lion films and thousands of red pill documentaries on Netflix of Red Pills. It's www.goodlion.tv or you can find his channel over also on Rumble. Let's have a listen to this. It goes for quite some time, so I'll play about uh, five to seven minutes of this one. I think the first bit, I just stopped it here because I had quite a bit of an introductory to it, about um, two minutes, I think it went in. Um, okay, I'm just going to take it back a bit. I'm at the five-minute mark. I reckon it was about two minutes he had. Come on, mate, you can go back here. All right, I'll start it at three minutes. I think it's where it starts. And conquered much of the Tartarian Empire. Okay, we're going to go back a bit more. Two minutes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the intro went for about two minutes, so I'll just start at two minutes. Maybe a touch longer. This one, this documentary goes for an hour and 15 I'll put it up in um, audio format anyway, sometime tomorrow, no doubt. How did a takeover of an empire manage to get swept away entirely from history books? When the Romanovs took over Tartaria and migrated to America, how were they able to create a society that never knew of Tartaria's existence? In order to understand, it's key for us to explore the remnants of power in regard to politics, our origins, and technology. After all, those who are in power politically control the technological power and the historical data that is given to society. In part one of our series, we learned that the Romanov dynasty eliminated what was left of Tartaria and conquered much of the Tartarian Empire, including what we know as the U.S. They not only destroyed almost all Tartarian structures, but the ones they kept were taken over and made into pillars of their newfound empire, the New World Order. This is evident in many Tartarian structures that are now federal courthouses, prisons, libraries, museums, post offices, churches, and federal parks. As we explore the magnitude of this massive takeover, we'll examine the enormous cover-up of technological advancements that had once fueled the Tartarian civilization, and we'll dig even deeper into the origins of America, exposing what might be the biggest cover-up of our time that Rome, Greece, and Egypt originated 
in America. This is the Tartarian Empire 2, Remnant Power. Reminder, it's important to remember Anatoly Fomenko's research from part 1 of this series, stating that history prior to 800 AD has been fabricated. He writes that our history has been based on actual events that occurred between 1000 to 1500 AD, meaning anything before that was destroyed, leaving us in the dark of our true origin story. The question then becomes, how do we find out the truth of our origins? The answer lies in remnant truths waiting to be discovered by future generations. The truths dared to be explored in this film. Should make for a very interesting documentary, even audio format. We'll start in the 13th century, when the Vatican, under the influence of the Khazarian Mafia, planted its roots in England. This would be one of the most essential steps in creating the Pyramid of Power, the building blocks of a new world order. Welcome, MZ. In 1213, King John surrendered the Kingdom of England to the Holy See under the Golden Bull. That means the Vatican took power of England. Two years later, in 1215, under direct papal authority, King John issued the Magna Carta, Latin for the Great Charter, and established the one-mile-square block called the City of London Corporation as a sovereign entity from England and London. Eventually, the Virginia Company was issued by the British Royal Family from the City of London Corporation for North American settlements. The Virginia Company of London was a joint stock company chartered by King James I to establish a colony in North America. Keep in mind, natives already had a claim to the land, but that wasn't important to King James. This venture allowed the crown to reap the benefits of colonization. Natural resources, new markets for English goods, leverage against the Spanish, all without bearing the cost. Investors, meanwhile, were protected from the catastrophic losses in the event of the project's failure. Remember, this was a risky project. A successful outcome was uncertain. Nevertheless, the company established a settlement at Jamestown, Virginia in 1607. And over the next 18 years, the Crown granted the company two new charters, democratizing its governance and reforming its financial model. So what began as an enterprise of investors seeking a dividend was funded a decade later almost exclusively by a public lottery. By 1618, the company had found a way to use its most abundant resource, land, to tempt settlers to pay their own passage from England to the colony and then, after arrival, to pay the company a fee to use the land. Still, after all this, the Virginia Company and the colony it oversaw struggled to survive. Disease, mismanagement, Indian attacks, and factionalism in London all took a toll until, in 1623, the Privy Council launched an investigation into the company's finances. A year later, the company's charter was revoked and the Crown assumed direct control of Virginia. Eventually, the Virginia Company was turned into the United States during the Revolutionary War by the Freemasonic Founding Fathers who were serving the Grand Lodge of England. 
Don't think George Washington was a Freemason? Have a look at his tombstone. We are taught America won the Revolutionary War. But if so, why would the king still be calling the shots? This implies the founding fathers of the United States didn't actually free us from the rule of the crown. This brings us to the Treaty of Paris, 1783. The Revolutionary War ended in 1781, and a treaty was signed in 1783. If the United States defeated England, how is the king still granting rights to America's new settlers, when they were now equal in status because of winning the war? The treaty is more of a permission slip than a demand to be acknowledged as an independent nation. Why would the famous patriots Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, and John Jay sign a treaty when they knew it would void any sovereignty gained by the Declaration of Independence and the winning of the Revolutionary War. If the settlers had truly won the Revolutionary War, it wouldn't be necessary for the king to grant them land. It would have been theirs by the king's loss in the war. For them to dictate the terms of the peace treaty shows their position of strength after winning the war, meaning the Americans never won. Think of other wars the U.S. had won, such as when they defeated Japan. Did MacArthur allow Japan to dictate the terms for surrender? No way. All these men did was gain status and privilege granted by the king, and this ensured the compliance and subjection of future unaware generations. Worst of all, they sold out all those who gave their lives and property for the chance to be free. Furthermore, when Cornwallis surrendered to Washington, he surrendered the battle, but not the war. Jonathan Williams recorded in his book, Legions of Satan, in 1781, that Cornwallis revealed to Washington during his surrender, a holy war will now begin on America, and when it is ended, America will be supposedly the citadel of freedom, but her millions will unknowingly be loyal subjects to the crown. In less than 200 years, the whole nation will be working for a divine world government. The government they believe to be divine will be the British government. All the treaty did was remove the United States as a liability and obligation of the king, reducing the same liability to the Holy See. The king no longer had to ship material and money to support his subjects and colonies. In this right, they had become independent, but not free. They were given liberty and not freedom. At the same time, the crown retained financial control through debt owed after the treaty, which in fact is still being created today, millions of dollars a day. And his heirs and successors and the Vatican are still reaping the benefit of the king's original venture. The following quote from Title 26 shows just one situation where the king is still collecting a tax from those that receive a benefit from him on property which is purchased with the money the king supplies at almost the same percentage. Title 26, U.S. Code, Section 1491, Imposition of Tax. There is hereby imposed on the transfer of property by a citizen or resident of the United States, or by a domestic corporation or partnership, or by an estate or trust which is not a foreign estate or trust, to a foreign corporation as paid in surplus or as a contribution to capital. 
or to a foreign estate or trust, or to a foreign partnership, an excise tax equal to 35% of the excess of, one, the fair market value of the property so transferred over, two, the sum of, a, the adjusted basis for determining gain of such property in the hands of the transfer, plus b, the amount of the gain recognized to the transfer at the time of the transfer. The British Corporation, or the City of London, would face opposition in their attempts to force federal law upon the people of the United States of America. The Constitution and Declaration of Independence was written to protect the sovereign rights of its people by defining the boundaries of federal reach from the Crown. But it appears the Crown willingly allowed for their independence, not by losing the war, but by winning it, and strategically benefited every step of the way. How could they get away with all this control? They were protected by their Law of Commerce, or Law of the Water, which the U.S. was officially under by 1868, enslaving people from birth through citizenship, a form of trickery used in law that surrendered a woman or man to the title of person, serving under office, which surrendered their sovereignty to the state, all in exchange for federal benefits, tricking them into a contract, thereby linking a real person into a business entity ridding them of rule by law of the land, and allowing for them to commit to being controlled by maritime admiralty law, or the law of the water. To better understand the law of the water, and how the Vatican used its commerce to control the world, here's the brilliant Jordan Maxwell explaining the concept of maritime admiralty banking law. You've heard the term law of the land. But in point of fact, that's precisely what this word means, law of the land, because it is the people who live on land. And that is opposed to something else called the law of the high seas or the law of water. You need to understand the difference. The law of the land is the law of the culture that lives on the land. And so consequently, the law of the land is different in every country. You can do things in America you can't do in Russia. You can do things in Africa you can't do in England. So the law of the land is the law of the culture that lives on that particular land. However, there is a higher law that dominates the entire world. It's called the law of the water. Of the law of the high seas. Admiralty Laurel Maritime. The law of water is referred to as the law of money. It doesn't matter what color you are, where you're from, or where you live. Money is money. Currency. And anytime you're doing banking or using money, Get it? you are Current. now under the law of water. Maritime Admiralty. If you go back in history, in ancient history, where all of this began... Back in the land of Cana, and I've heard the judge, you go to the the land of Cana. The Canaanites were Phoenician, Phoenician bloodline, and in the ancient Phoenician language, Cana meant merchant banker. The very word merchant comes from mer, M E R, for the sea, for water. Mermaid. Made, we have merchant. Merchant bankers. Let me give an example of the difference between the law of water and the law of the land. The law of water, as I said, is a law of banking, money, as opposed to the law of the custom of the people or the law of the land. Um, 
the Statue of Liberty must be put in water. It could not be put on American land as such. It had to be put in the harbor because it's not the Statue of Freedom. It's the Statue of Liberty. Liberty is what a sailor gets when he pulls into port on ship. He gets liberty. He's not free. So America is not the land of the free and the home of the brave. We're not free or brave. Period. We're not free. This is not a free country. Now let me give you an example of how this law of the water works. Why is it that you have to go to court? People are always concerned about going to court. You go to court because you play basketball and tennis on a court. Boy, it's How a do you racket. play tennis on a court? You play with a racket. That's right. Why? So that's what it is. It's a racket. Satanian cult system as well. And make no mistake, they do not pick words by chance. These words are very serious. They do not use words in terms um, Saturanium. with no avail. These words are very important. When you go into a court, you'll find that with the flag too. I don't know if it brings it up. The um, the gold um, tassels or trimming around the flag is actually under maritime law, not the law of your land of the court system. What's the idea of going to court? It's a game, like basketball. The whole idea in a court is to put the ball back in the other guy's court. Uh, one team gets up and they throw the ball over to that team of lawyers. That team gets up and throws the ball back into their court. And consequently, it's a ball game. And the judge is wearing a black robe, so he is the referee. The judge is the referee. He doesn't care which side wins or loses because he's going to get paid anyway. So he couldn't care less. He's merely there as a referee, and that's why he wears a black robe. And that's another interesting subject we can get into later. But the judge is a, as a referee between two teams. The judge, that we are told, rules from the bench. The word bench in Latin is a bank. Therefore, the judge rules for the bank. Where do you find banks? You find banks on both sides of a river. They're called river banks. And what does a river bank do? It directs the flow oh, of the, the currency. C. Current C. The juice. C current. Consequently, your money is current C because it's the flow, the cash flow. And give you an example of how this works. When a ship pulls into a harbor, all ships are referred to as female. Airships, rocket ships, sailing ships are always Birthing female. Dock. Why? There's a very good reason. Maritime Admiralty Banking Law says all ships are female because uh, they're carrying items. Mm -hmm. They're carrying all items comes together, money. doesn't it, guys? Eh? So consequently, they are under Maritime Admiralty the Law. Dots. Admiralty is where we get the word Admiral, Admiral of the Navy. Let me give you an example of how this works. When a ship pulls into a harbor, it parks at the dock, and it ties off at the dock. The captain has to provide for the uh, port authorities certificate? a certificate of manifest, because yesterday the ship was not here. 
but this morning the ship pulled in, so it has manifested. So consequently, all the products, the $800 million worth of TVs or Toyotas, have manifested. So each one of those items coming off of that ship has come off of water. And each and they has come in a ship. And consequently, on a ship, all ships have a captain. The word captain comes from a Latin word, capital, money. So the captain represents the money that's on board the ship. And as I said, the captain has to present to the port authorities a certificate of manifest for each and every item. How much does it weigh? What color is it? How many doors does it have? Etc. And consequently, the captain presents a certificate of manifest. The ship is sitting in its berth. Wherever a ship sits when it docks is called its berth. She sits in her berth birthing a ship. Consequently, all the items, as I said, coming off that ship represent money. They came in on water. They are maritime admiralty product. And this is true all over the world. Now, when you were born, your mother's water broke. And when your mother's water broke, you came out. And this is why you have to have a birth certificate. Because you are a maritime admiralty product under international law. You are considered, your body is considered a maritime admiralty product. Your mother delivered you. This is why if you go to Sears and buy a refrigerator, they will ship it to you. They will deliver it. That's why you were in your delivery room. Your mother was delivering a product. Maritime Admiralty, you came down your mother's birth canal. And once you, uh, and as you're taking one of the, uh, the televisions or the cars off the ship and it falls down and breaks, uh, that's all right. Sometimes they're stillborn, so consequently you've lost money on that one. Therefore, you have to have a death certificate. And it's always signed by the dock. The doc has to sign your birth certificate and your death certificate. All of these words and terms are maritime admiralty banking words. And therefore, if you understand lawyers and judges and courts and government are all under international maritime admiralty law. All religions, all churches in the world operate under maritime law. This is why all churches are divided into denominations like 20s and 50s and 100s. Serious. This is why they're called denominations, because all churches are nothing more than the product of maritime admiralty banking. It's an extraordinary story of occult uh, treason, high treason and crimes against the state. Make no mistake about it. There has never been a country on the face of the earth as far back into history as you can go. There has never existed a country in which the people rose up and demanded their right to be free. Never. The concept of human spiritual, intellectual, and physical freedom is a totally 
uh, concept that has never, ever existed on the earth. The only time that has ever come into existence was the founding of this country where it was understood that we were sovereigns and we owned our bodies. And consequently, since 1868, we're now on the International Maritime Admiralty Law. It would take just 100 years from the signing of the peace treaty for the crown to implement control of the American people. They did so by tricking the sovereign into submitting to a maritime admiralty law in exchange. Now, it wasn't going to take this so long. I didn't realize it was 24 minutes, but it was so in, um, enjoyable. And I really I don't know how many times I've listened to this. It just goes on and on all the time. I just fascinated by it, even though I love putting it out there to help others understand it as well, because it's pretty much... I could read it out myself pretty much off the top of my head because I've listened to this sort of stuff that many times. But I think the perspective that this gentleman has put it into has, has done a really good job as well. And one of the best presentations I've come across out of all the ones I've heard, especially when he includes Jordan Maxwell. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to um, end it at the half an hour. Soon I've gone 24. So that'll be another six minutes and then we'll definitely have an open line. So yeah, put your stopwatch on, anyone in the room, and um, call in after I'll pause this. For goods and services provided. I mean, for after six minutes, yeah. By the Crown. 1865. The 13th Amendment made it so people could volunteer into slavery by accepting federal benefits. In 1868, a privately owned foreign British corporation called the United States was created and incorporated in Delaware. Also, in 1868, the 14th Amendment defined two new legal entities. One, a citizen of the United States, and two, a person, both subject to the federal government jurisdiction as agents or officers and or employees of the government. It is then stated that no state could infringe or deprive any U.S. citizen or person of their privileges and immunities as U.S. citizens. Of great importance was the use of the terms privileges and immunities as opposed to rights. As persons or citizens, that is, agents or employees of the private foreign United States corporation, they had no rights within that corporation. They possessed only privileges granted to them by that private foreign corporation called the United States. In 1871, the Organic Act was passed and was titled An Act to Provide a Government for the District of Columbia. Congress, illegally acting on its own behalf, created a separate form of government for the District of Columbia. Congress, realizing that our country was in severe financial difficulty, cut a deal with the international bankers, in the process, incurring more debt to those bankers. In 1874, the Internal Revenue Code was created and is the body of law that codifies all federal tax laws, including income, estate, gift, excise, alcohol, tobacco, and employment taxes. And lastly, the Vatican and the Holy See would become officialized by becoming sovereign in 1929. Now, the New World Order had its three power centers, Washington, D.C., the City of London, and the Holy See of the Vatican. Is it starting to make sense how the British Virginia Company venture had failed, was then taken up by the Crown, and then created the foundation of Washington, D.C. in the same way the Pope acquired the city of London from England, in turn manipulating their laws, rendering them both into money-making machines, 
enslaving the people of both England and eventually the people of the United States. Now that you're aware how power was taken politically, it's important to see the historical origins that this political power had covered up. Right in your face, Washington, guys. Washington, D.C. is located in both Virginia and Maryland. That is, Virgin Maryland. Also note that stated in the Catholic Encyclopedia in 1669, D.C. was originally called Rome. Some may believe ancient Rome was in America, since Rome, Maryland, which is Washington, D.C., was the first Vatican City. A branch of the Potomac River was called Tiber Creek which was named after the Tiber River in Rome. Like Rome, Washington, D.C. has seven hills, whose names are... We're getting it? Capitol Hill, Meridian Hill, Floral, Forest, Hillbrook, Hillcrest, and Knox Hill. Washington, D.C. is filled with Roman architecture and has a Roman fascist symbol all over U.S. federal buildings. The Eagle? With Capitol Hill being named after Capitoline Hill from Rome. Washington, D.C.'s origins are becoming more obvious. All this implies the federal government of the yeah. United States is based upon the principles of the Roman Republic, which was a fascist empire. And fascism means a centralization of power. The word fascist comes from the Roman fasces, which is a bundle of rods with a projecting axe blade carried by a Roman officer, also known as a lictor, or an executor, which was a symbol of a magistrate's power and used as an emblem of authority as well What's as... What's in the eagle's claws? The American flag, guys. ...who disagreed with Roman laws. Lastly, the logo's column symbolizes the political support that maintains their claim to governmental land ownership. Symbols and architecture are remnant clues to our true history. Since the Moors were the Tartarians, according to the Gothic architecture all over the world, but mainly in the Americas, this means that modern-day Europeans did not build any of these Greco-Roman Gothic structures in Old World America, because a previous advanced American civilization called Moors and Berber Indians civilized the ancient world. Now this one goes into Utah, and um, it continues on and on and on. So I will be putting this up tomorrow on my channel, so please come back and visit. Um, absolutely fascinating stuff, there's no doubt about it, all the dots being connected here. Put, I thought, quite the layman, actually. What did you think, Jeff? Welcome. Do you think it was well done for even the layman to sort of start comprehending? Uh, it was... It Oz, it was spot on. It's spot on. I mean, um, if people actually, I mean, when they hear this, if they would actually consider it, if it was, it's true. There's nothing really to debate. It's motherfucking though. true. There's nothing to actually really debate and when you really analyze it, is there? 
Uh, It's just frustrating that we got so many deadheads here in America right now. You're not the only country, Mike. You're not the only country, Seth. They've gone to university and they think they're smart and they're dumb as a stump. I know, it's terrible. I think more eight-year-olds in the 1800s were smarter. And everybody's like, Jeff, why didn't you go to college, you know? You're so smart. And I'm like, because I get free education. It's called a fucking library. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was bored shitless at school you over know, history, mate, until I left. Myself, and... and I've always educated myself. And, yeah. and I find other people that um, enlighten me, and then there's like, check this out. And I'm, you know willing to consider and i start reading you know i'm not gullible it's like you gotta fact check this shit and then when you start connecting the dots and then you listen to this fella you just had on i mean he he was spot on Mm -hmm. this is truth these are not lies yet if you expose this to the imag the average american citizen you're going to lose them in about six seconds. They have no attention span to even grasp this understanding. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're absolutely dead in the head, man. And I, I don't know what we're going to do to get them, turn off their televisions, take their goddamn cell phones out of their hands. You know, yeah. is it going to take a blackout? Is it going to take, I, I don't know what it's going to take. But I never saw, you know, as being a veteran of the military, that I would see my country fall apart the way it is. And I know the rest of the world is looking at America right now going, good God, if that country falls, we're fucked. And I'm telling you, it's getting getting to that point where... I feel like, and God forbid, God forbid I'm I'm on to something here, but if there is a war, if we do have like a World War III, simultaneously, I think we're also going to have a civil war in the United States. Oh, yeah, that's definitely, that's what they want, definitely. That's on the top of their list. They've been wanting that for years. I can't imagine, I mean... The United States has had a civil war before, and we've been to two world wars and other countless wars, but we've never, we've only had one civil war. But to have a world war while having a civil war, mm. I mean, is it going to be the end of America? They've been the pushing. They've, they've been pushing for a race war, civil war in America for years. I think they're shocked that they haven't been able to achieve it. To be honest. Oh, oh, oh! And it, and, and it's, it's, it's on a, it's on a fast track. Yeah. Oz, it's. It, I mean, it's just, it is moved. I mean, I noticed it a few years ago. You know, it was like, you know, 
Oh, geez. Look what they're trying to do. Well, they're dumbing down. They're trying to take away the white alpha male now. You know, they've been doing that in movies and everything and, and shows and ads for oh, years and years now. It's absolute castration. Yep. It's absolute castration. The black man's now always the hero, the dumb white man, usually the fool. You look at all the movies. How oh, many geez. bumbling white men fool or lip-wristed white men and the black man comes in and takes man. the blonde-headed chick away in his arms. You know, that sort of stuff. It's all through ads now and everything. Oh, and yeah. I'm 55. I'm white. I'm a veteran. My last name is white. My hair is white. It's like I got a damn big X on my back. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm not kidding. It's, it's like, what did I do wrong? I have done nothing wrong my whole life. And all of a sudden I found myself in shitville and everybody looks at me is public enemy number one and i've never harmed a child um i beat the shit out of some blokes because they fucking deserved it but i never went to jail for it um it's just that i have to keep my damn head down right now yeah they had to, but they have had to have beat down America go, and I keep, Europe. I keep my head down, but their, I keep it on a swivel. To get their world government plan in head, they had to beat down at Europe, which they've done through multiculturalism. They've had to um, make the white man feel like he's insignificant and inferior to um, other races, and just this, as this portrait, it's it's all they're bombarded, mate, from every angle. You know, this is why they got to get rid of that stupid TV. Yeah, it, it's coming at you from every angle. And and earlier in that program, you remember when he was talking about words, mm -hmm. the power of words? Absolutely, yeah. So I'm getting ready to, I, I'm getting ready. I signed up for two courses, Greek and Latin. And uh, because of the derivatives of words and the power of words, yep. I mean, I, I kind of got a handle on it a little bit, but to actually, I've never actually, you know, I... I didn't go to college. I went in the military. Yeah. Um, but I read a lot growing up because I was always in trouble. And my parents, the first thing they took away was my ability to watch televisions and, and my brother too. And so my brother and I just, you know, went to our rooms and we read books and we traded books and, uh, you know, we <laughs> were ver voracious readers. We have, a pretty good vocabulary but what i didn't understand and i'm now understanding it more and more and more is the derivatives of words and the one that i've been working on over the last two weeks is the word kind mm -hmm. k-i-n-d you know it sounds it's a good word you know to be kind well, if you've got a guarantor or someone, kind. what are they next of kin? Mankind, kin. humankind, kind. kindness, mm -hmm. and also from kind come kin. That's which right, is family. That's what I was saying. Yeah, and then kinship, mm -hmm. and it goes on and on and on. And the more I explore the derivatives of words, which was in that program you were it's fascinating. playing earlier. Oh, yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And it goes on and, and on. Yeah. Back, and, that, and that's why I've got to take these courses in Latin and Greek. Yeah, Latin especially, yeah. And the Greek, you have two, two really top ones to really get it all from. Yeah, Latin and Greek would be two really up there. 
especially but where I, I still remember you 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 explaining Hebrew in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Dude, you're really smart. Yeah, I started off You've in paleo. You've handle on so much of this. Yeah, a bit of paleo as well. Done a lot of on that sort of thing. I used to hang around a lot of Mesoanic uh, communities, which we spoke a lot of Hebrew in those well, sort of days. Why is it? Why is it cert certains? I call I call us certains. I don't know why. What do you mean by individuals? Certain? Oh, certains. Well, I think there's only I think there's only a few certains out there that are going to get this. Probably only about and the 7%, rest of them yeah. are going to perish. Well, it, they're going to yeah. perish, man. And any information usually takes about seven people to actually hear it before it actually sinks in. Unfortunately. Like you could say something. That's why it's important. Just to say that little seed, you'd be surprised. And another, and it usually takes about seven people on average before someone kicks in and, and starts going. A light bulb goes off because, um, like the Bible says, even with us sort of people, like you know, um, our own family or community, do not acknowledge prophets and things like that. Which the analogy is pretty much when you look at your own family and how many people think you're nuts in your own family or you're a bit, you know, out there. Exactly. And, but if okay, you told someone so that I've wasn't, they would listen to you more, you know. A complete stranger would sit there and listen while your they, family, they oh, don't. that's only Osman. What don't. would he know? And I think Dude, it's I've yeah. had to run I've had to run away from certain churches. Mm -hmm. They've called me a prophet and an oracle. Just because I have this ability, I don't know, it's because I knew a long time ago to clean my pineal gland or whatever. What about oracle? What what church would say that word? I couldn't imagine it. Yeah. Called an oracle. Not not by I a church. Got the Church of the Latter Day Saints after me, and I know that they've been infiltrated by the CIA. Yeah, I'm staying away from that because of your insights. They I think already, that I already was in the military and part of a branch that was run by those sons of bitches, and they're part of the Luciferian order. And I don't care if they're hearing me right now. I've had it. Take me out. I could give a shit. This jig is up. It needs exposed. People need to come together and we need to win this war. This shit is biblical. We're on a big um, pivoting point, 2000 now and 25. I think if it's, things don't change now, well, I think we're, we're getting close to our last turnaround, I think. But we're getting there. It's getting better and better. So things are speeding up on both both sides, really, when you just look, sit back and look at it all. I think we were talking. Uh, it, it, there's something going on. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great awakening. That's for bloody sure. Time. I've seen it. Like the space-time continuum? Yeah. And I've talked to so many people that are just like, whether they're young or they're old or middle-aged, everyone feels like they can't even keep up mm -hmm. with the day anymore. That's right. I've Everything seen that. Everything is so fast. I've even questioned younger people that you asked them 15, 20 years ago, they would have said, no, look, just the same as what we thought when we were that age. Now, just about all of them you ask, they just think, where did that year go? What, what happened then? You know, Everything is speeding up to them as well, which is fascinating. Back in our day, it wasn't. Yeah, because it's usually slow. when you're young, it's slow oh, because yeah. you're waiting. Oh, you're always waiting for a milestone. My first right? 10 years of my you're life was like eternity from Christmas to Christmas. And, yeah. and then you turn 18, and then you're mm -hmm. old enough to buy alcohol. Yeah. And then, you know, you get all these milestones along the way, yeah. right? And they seem to take forever. But you talk to these young kids, and they're just like, yeah. Yep. 
we they can't even keep up right now. I wonder if technology does play a part psychologically too that we think that because everything's just. I'm starting to think that something happened mm. with CERN. That's a possibility. It seemed earlier than CERN they were kicked in. Oh, how long CERN been around? Do you reckon? We're kind of sure when they when they originally kicked off their first one. Well, well, uh, wh- where was that? That was in was it Norway? Where where is it goes that be- son of a bitch? It goes between two countries. I think it's um is it Sweden and Norway? I think if they're together, Sweden and Norway. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the Super Collider. There's actually several around the world I heard about the other day. I didn't know. Oh, geez. Great. China's building a big one too. Bigger, they reckon. Why does science want to play God? I don't know. I don't know. It's all sinister too because I've seen this. Have you seen the ceremonies? It's all just complete um, darkness and um, around the – what's her name? Um, The goddess Shiva. It's got to be part of the Luciferian order, man. Oh, absolutely. I seen one, I don't know if it was Rule or Amok, where it was a lady sacrificed in in the CERN complex. There was a person videoing it, and it seemed legit, unless, you know, sometimes they do mockery, even though it was a naked lady. But whether they killed her or not, I'm not sure. But the way this person reacted to it that was filming through a crack, he was absolutely horrified and just ran. So I'd say it quite possibly could have been a real sacrifice, you know? That they were actually doing. If not, they were staging something. So that's sinister enough. They love in the hoods. blood sacrifices. You've got to understand blood sacrifices, um, especially when they're done with children. I wonder if they tried to do that with blood in an atom and split them together with the human DNA. That would be an interesting one. I don't want to give them any ideas though. <sighs> that could open up some sort of weird stuff. Hey, do you remember uh, Tick? Remember talking with Tick? Oh, absolutely. Monica, yeah. Yeah, Monica. So I let my mom finally read this. So she's going to back me to do Oakley's Tremendous New Home, which is something just a, it's about, it's a, it's a book I wrote for kids. It's metaphorical. It took me a few years to write. It's actually about an oak tree that I nurtured. Have you and, have you got uh, it published in anywhere at the moment, or can people get it? Uh, no, but but my mom's a millionaire. <laughs> how much does and it cost? I finally let her read it. How much would it and cost to kick like, it off? Um. Well, I'm looking at Amazon right now. It's self publishing, and uh, she read it, and she was just like, "Jeff, you've actually been sitting on this." While you've been homeless at times, yeah. sleeping in your car, camping in our woods, you know, and I'm like, I don't care, mom. I know that three, four years ago, I had close to half a million dollars and it, it got taken from me so quick in a divorce mm-hmm. in the state of Indiana. You wouldn't even believe it. We've got about two and a I half minutes. Jeff. Bucks in my We've got about right two and a half now. two and a half minutes left, mate. So whatever you got to say, just get it out. You know. Okay, so yeah, I'm, this book is about uh, it's metaphorical about um, you know these these children, you know they've been through so much trauma, and uh, she's going to help me translate it into Espanol because she actually has got a background in working with traumatized children yeah and so we got that going um and there's not enough time to tell you more but anyway 
Um, it, I've got two other things I'm working on that are kind of cool, and I'll tell you about them another time. Um, but I got to get this book out because uh, I think it can help kids. There's a lot of metaphorical um, stuff in there. I, have, I rewrote this so much, and it's my baby. It's my baby, and it's for it's for children. And I kind of grew up without a dad and stuff, you know. So I kind of know what it's like to be moved around and never know where home is, kind of. And uh, so you're going to so, go through the publishing rights yourselves, are you? Instead of hiring someone, is that right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, uh, it, it, at first, at first, yeah. and if it gets picked up, and it, and it, you know, you might get somebody, an offer, yeah, even from a publishing company if it gets out there a bit heavier. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've had some, you know, I've had some um, people that are, you know, with masters in English literature that are like Jeff. This is an incredible teaching tool. Hmm. You're going to make more and, money doing it yourself too than getting a publisher, obviously. But the only benefit well, with a publisher is that they will get you actually, more publicity. Yeah, Oz, I really, I, I, I mean, I, I'll take a little money for myself. But okay. Yeah. To be honest with you, I would like a lot of the money to go to vetted homes for these children. Okay, we'll we'll call to in tomorrow because sure they're, they're going to cut safe. us. They're going to cut us out in a minute, mate. If you want to continue more about it tomorrow and just tell us, just before we, you go. We, we, we can because okay. I'll tell you about the end of it and okay, uh, then that'd be what good. I'm going to do it's, and then I'll, I'll send you a copy, okay, and you can read it. Okay, then great. All right, mate. Well, yeah, they're going to shut us off any minute, so I'll, I'll just shut us down now. I hate when they just cut us while we're talking. So, I'll, um, yeah, come, come around about the same time tomorrow. I have an open line. I'll have it every night now on my show. So, yeah, it'd be good to hear it just a touch more and give us the full name and author. That'd be great. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll catch us all in the next episode of Strange Days. Ilakesh. to my new admin, 4Q. Welcome on board, old mate. You ain't your stars and stripes, soldier. <laughs>